I wanted to start this one off by basically saying who's this podcast for? Because how could I start it any other way? Who's this podcast for? And this episode is for David Cronenberg. More specifically, his movie Crash from 1996 that went to the Cannes Film Festival, which is happening right now. And he has a movie in this year's Cannes Film Festival in 2022 called Crimes of the Future. But that movie Crash went to Cannes in 1996 and caused such an uproar. And it's going to be a big focal point of today's episode. Why did it cause such an uproar? Well, I just watched it the other night. Well, the other day. And I can understand why. It's basically a movie about people with uh, certain fetishes and a fetish that kind of grows into this group of people. Well, one of them infiltrates this group of friends or group of people or what have you. And they have a fetish for car crashes. It gets them, you know, it gets them up for lack of a better word. It's erotic to them. They like to see them. They like to even be in them and they like to reenact famous car crashes. And our main protagonist, James Spader, he gets involved in it. And there you have it. He's already kind of a freak anyway. They like to do things in public. And he has a wife and they're in open marriage. And they like to swing and be with other people. And this was naturally another step that they took. And what made this movie so crazy, I guess, is the is the eroticism of it. How how sexually charged this movie is, and also how graphic it can be. Some of the sex scenes, man, I, I can't imagine that being in a movie theater today, it, it, it would be insane. And uh, I think at the time, back in 1996, it was written that when a lot of, when people would try to go see the movie, there were security guards there to make sure nobody under 18 could get in. That's how crazy this movie was. And I watched it, and I was told by many sources, I saw, you know, all over the place that this was probably his best, and I have to disagree. Now, don't get me wrong, the movie's great. Out of five stars, I'd probably give it four and a half. And I loved practically every minute of it. Um, it was different. It was weird. There's all the things I want in cinema. Pushing that boundary forward and not just being kind of cookie cutter and lame and boring. Um, it was trying to go for something else. But it was one or two scenes that really took me out of it. One that I kind of, after the movie went off, I thought about it all like, you're kind of overreacting. That's fine. That's not that big of a deal. It's all like, okay, we can pull back on that one. But one other scene <laughs> I couldn't get into, didn't want to get into, <laughs> absolutely revolted against, and uh, that really knocked it to the four and a half. A movie I think about in conjunction with this movie is a movie called Titan that is um, came out, I think, last year by Julia DeCornow. Went to Cannes last summer, and it won the Palme d'Or, which is the big prize of Cannes. It's like winning the Best Picture Oscar for the Oscars, right? And they kind of have the same stuff going on. And that's another movie that's a four and a half to me. And I think a lot of it is great. Vincent Linden in Titan was amazing. And he's the Cannes president this year because they have a rotating group of people who pick all the movies and pick all the uh, prize winners. And he's the president of this year's jury selection at Cannes. And he was in a movie last year that won the Palm Door. So it's crazy how that works out. Vincent Linden is a fantastic actor. And I have to look into more of his stuff because I didn't know about him until I watched Titan last year. But the time also has a lot of things going for it that Crash does. I kind of see them as kindred spirits almost, just in different ways. Obviously, not the same movie. The time is about a serial killer who is basically on the run after killing a few people and then pretends to be the son of Vincent Linden's character uh, to hide from the police. And 
It's a movie about identity and her trying to find herself. And so, you know, I again, I'll give it a four and a half. Same with Crash. It just has one or two things that I'm just like, eh, I'm okay on. But in terms of movies, they're both very well made. It was very well done. I prefer Crash at the time, uh, honestly, because David Cronenberg, the director of Crash, is just amazing. We talked about him last week. Like I said, he has a movie, Crimes of the Future, at Cannes. I think it's already premiered. The movie's coming out later in June, so we don't have much long to wait on that one. And you will be getting a review for that. Uh, but I just want to open this up with Crash, how much I really enjoyed it, how much I appreciate it, how I could understand why people did not like it, why people uh, did not want to see that movie and rejected it wholeheartedly because it is very crass and it is very daring and it's going for something, but I think that's the best cinema. wasn't perfect to me. I like other Cronenberg movies more like The Fly. I think that's the best one I've seen so far. I haven't seen all of them. I have Videodrome uh, on Criterion, which we'll get to later on. I got to see that one. That's another one people say is great. Uh, History of Violence, Eastern Promises, all of this stuff with Viggo Mortensen in the 2000s. I have to see. Um, but Crash is up there for sure of the ones I've seen. Scanners is great. Dare Ringers is really great. The Fly is perfect to me, and I have others to see. But David Cronenberg, that's who this podcast is for because he's just – I learned about him last year, really started watching his stuff, and I realized he's one of my favorite filmmakers, and he's still working today. Like I said, he has a movie coming out soon. So uh, shout-out to David Cronenberg. That's how that's how I kind of want to start this. I'll just give him his flowers for Crash being so <laughs> daring and inventive. Even if it all didn't work, it worked almost perfectly because I gave it four and a half out of five. That's, you know, that's pretty that's pretty good. So shout out to him. Um, speaking of Can, there was this article, and speaking of David Cronenberg and movies that people wholly rejected, people walked out of his movie back then, booed it and rejected it. Speaking of Can, where that movie premiered, where his next one is premiering, I have an article from Variety that I want to touch on very quickly called Can Controversy, 22 Movies That Earn Booze and Walkouts from Taxi Driver to Neon Demon. Now, um, this is interesting to me. I love movies that get people riled up. I love movies that are daring. I love movies that are pushing the conversation forward. I love movies that are just trying to do different things. If you could do that, you got me. Right. Even if everything won't work, like I just said, it's okay. We can figure it out. Uh, I just like when people are trying. In music, movies, anything. Give me something different in art, period. And we'll assess the risk. I'll assess the damages. <laughs> I'll figure out if I want to listen to it again or see it again or not. But for that first experience, get me hooked and we can at least have a conversation. The thing I hate the most is the safest, boringest movie. That's why I'm dreading Top Gun Maverick, which is also coming out. By the time you hear this, it'll probably might be out, but it's coming soon. But you know, it might still be a good movie. I don't mind the conventional three act structure, regular movies. I love a lot of those, and a lot of those some of my favorite movies of all time. I just also appreciate when somebody's going for something different. You know, how the movie structured, how it was made, what the subject matter is. I think all of that matters. It doesn't always have to be abstract. doesn't have to be surreal. doesn't have to be different. But if you, you know, even if you're telling a story that's been told before, if you're doing it in an interesting way, I'm down, you know. And if you're telling it well enough, it can be traditional, traditionally told, and I'll still be down. But I do appreciate the things that are trying to push the envelope. Anyway, can controversy. This is a, a Variety article, 22 movies that earn booze and walkouts. I just want to touch on these. You might not know all the movies. I don't know all of these movies. But I did think it was interesting. 
that uh, my movie can get you to a point where you're walking out. I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie theater in my life. Um, I don't know if I've even been close because I think once I'm in there, I paid the money. I'm going to, you know, I got to see this through, you know. Uh, I can't walk out. We, we You know, we just got to figure this thing out. You know, I might not like it. I might, you know, might be grossed out, whatever. But I'm going to at least get to the end and then never think about the movie again. So that's kind of where I am with it. Um, but here we go. Number one, the house that Jack built, 2018. Lars von Trier, he's a very important name in the history of filmmaking. I don't know this movie, but apparently I'll just read you what happened. Um, by the time the end credits had stopped rolling, the balcony at the theater was reportedly half empty. Uh, it said it ignited a storm of controversy due to his graphic violence. And I won't read what that graphic violence is as a non-spoiler for you, but the house that Jack built came out 2018 by Lars von Trier. Apparently very, very hard movie to get to the Brown bunny, 2003 Vincent Gallo, uh, experimental road movie about a, uh, tormented motorcycle racer who's haunted by the memories of his former lover on a cross country trip. Um, yeah, what I'm reading here is, it's pretty rough as well in terms of what's actually happening in it. Variety panned the film as a self-indulgent resurrection of 70s road movie aesthetics and the very definition of navel-gazing cinema. So, take with that what you will into that one. Uh, personal Shopper 2016. This is a fav- personal favorite of my brother. So, I've heard, I've heard of this movie by Olivier Saez with Christian Stewart as a star. Um, so, this slow burn study of grief star Stewart as a ghost whisperer who is unearthed by spirits following the death of her brother. Freddie Spears real is the character's torment just a byproduct of her grief. The ambiguity of SIS plays with is far more haunting than the supernatural elements at play, but not everyone that can was satisfied. So it didn't sound like that one was too bad. Here's a very famous one, Taxi Driver, 1976. Martin Scorsese. It's considered one of the greatest movies ever. So it's never not shocking to hear the film. Got to start with Booze and Walkers at the Cannes Film Festival. It says, according to The Hollywood Reporter, the film drew loud boos from the crowd, many of whom streamed out, out of the theater. Ashen faced over the film's ultraviolet climax. If you've seen the movie, you know what that is. So this seems to just be about the violence. And I can get that. I can understand that. But honestly, by today's standards, Taxi Driver seems tame. But, you know, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's, it's, it's a classic for a reason. Wild Out Heart, 1990. Uh, David Lynch, one of my favorite movies from him is Blue Velvet. I haven't seen a lot of his stuff. But I definitely want to see more because Blue, Blue Velvet is absolutely great. So I have to give it up to him. Uh said, jokingly violent, wickedly funny, and riveting, erotic. David Lynch's Wilder Heart is a roller coaster ride to redemption through an American gothic heart of darkness. The brutal opening signals that this film is not the f- for the faint of heart. So look like it's a uh, on the run, two, two young people on the run movie after a bounty is placed on one of them. Um, yeah. Seems like people just didn't want it to win. It won the Palm Door, which is the big prize, like I said. But I'm I'm not seeing why it's you know why it got all of the criticism that it did. But you know who knows. I'm skip ahead here. His crash, 1996. We just talked about it. David Cronenberg has predicted walkouts for his latest Palm Door contender, Crimes of the Future. But it might be impossible to top the outrage that greeted his erotic psychological thriller, Crash, at the 1996 Cannes Film Festival. Uh, film cast James Spader, film producer who becomes involved with a group of people who turn a car crash in order to get sexually aroused. Says can viewers boot the, boot the film and stormed out of the theater. Even jury president Francis Ford Coppola 
made the Godfathers, made the conversation, um, made Apocalypse Now. So he's, you know, he speaks for himself. Says that some juries abstain very passionately to the decision to award Crash a special jury prize. So he was against it. They weren't. Says from Variety Review, a forbiddingly frigid piece of esoteric erotica, Crash goes all the way with the sexual obsession that few people will turn on to. It was adapted from J.G. Ballard's 1973 cult novel. Um, it's about the, the fetish for automobile accidents, bodily injury. Turned it into a metaphor for human adaptation to the technological age remains an exceedingly intellectual work of cold sensuality. So, you know, it's very well respected and it, it's up there. Irreversible 2002. I've heard of this one. I haven't seen it because I didn't want to see it because I heard what was in this movie. But I have heard of this one. And there are a few things I just won't even subject myself to when it comes to movies. I think this movie has one of those things in it. Gaspar Noe. I just watched a movie of his not too long. I think I spoke about it on the last episode. I think I did, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, I really enjoyed Vortex. So, And that was my first Gaspar Noe film. So. Irreversible, Palm Door Contender. So controversial at Cannes Film Festival that it led Newsweek to proclaim this would be the most walked out movie of 2003. Even fans of the movie, such as Roger Ebert, acclaimed, you know, critic, would admit this is a movie so violent and cruel that most people will find it unwatchable. Um, Vincent Cassell and Albert Dupontel play two men who seek to revenge the rape of a woman. Monica Bellucci is told in reverse chronological order, but the scene that caused the outrage was the one-take, grueling, ten-minute detail of, you know... Uh, Reports emerged out of Cannes that several audience members fainted, threw up, and or walked out during irreversible screening. Other shocking acts of violence in the film include a man being bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher. So, that that's a rough one, <laughs> right? Like, we 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 see why people didn't like that one. And again, I haven't watched it because I didn't want to see that one scene. And it'll be stuff like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm not even going to, I don't want the movie to be canceled. I don't want it to be taken away because it's a movie. It's art. It's trying to do something. I just don't personally want to see that scene. And maybe one day I'll build up enough courage. I just don't think I, it is not that serious. So I'm okay. Uh, let's see here. Marie Antoinette, 2006. This is interesting. Sophia Coppola takes a historical epic and turns it into a punk rock contemporary coming of age movie with Marie Antoinette which generated booze at Cannes reportedly because it threw French history to the wind and seemingly relished in the monarchy's decadent wealth instead of criticizing it, although the film's sensory overload goes a long way in undercutting the materialism on display. Roger Ebert famously clarified the reaction, saying the film only received a small handful of booze. He accused the media of sensationalizing the reaction. Still, Marie Antoinette was not the home run at Cannes that many were expected from a Coppola-Kirsten Dunst reunion. The film has garnered more critical acclaim over the years. So it just seems that they wanted them to criticize all the rich people. It's like, don't we have enough of that? No, I'm just playing. No, I'm not. But anyway. Um, Antichrist 2009. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure this was self-explanatory. I'm pretty sure. And I'm going to move on. <laughs> Into the Void 2009. Gaspar Noe again. You see what type of filmmaker he is. He did Irreversible, the one we were just talking about, and Into the Void, which is, I do want to see Into the Void. I will watch that one. Um, I'm trying to see why people didn't like this one. Um, Antichrist was made by Lars von Trier, by the way. We already mentioned him. Um, 
Noah said, I thought people would be booing because people do that to my movies. Noah said at the film's can press conference. I kind of liked that, but I didn't get it this time. What is, what was it that Douglas Sirk said to Fastbender? To make a good melodrama, you need <laughs> a few words. These are in this film. I won't say what the words are. I'm trying to keep it PG. I know the kids listening because all the kids love cinema. So I'm trying to keep it good for them, you know. Uh, let's see here. I'm not gonna read all of these. Uh, Holy Motors, 2012. I have heard of this. This is by Leo's Carrick. Put out a movie last year called Annette. I still need to watch this on Amazon Prime. Go check that out. Leo's Carrick's Holy Motors, often cited by critics, is one of the best movies of the 21st century. But it premiered at Cannes in 2012 to a roller coaster level of responses. The elusive and enigmatic drama stars Dennis Levant as a man who is seemingly an actor. The man dresses up in different costumes, takes on different skins as he travels through throughout London. As the Guardian reported out of Kansas, first screen was greeted by booze, drowned out by cheers, by volleys of ecstatic and furious tweets, and by one big question, what the hell was it all about? Variety called the film certifiably nuts in its review, adding about the film's premiere periodically. The silence in the theater was broken by laughs and gas, triggered by an extended glimpse of full frontal nudity or a sudden burst of frenzy violence. The Cannes audiences are used to those sort of triggers, often the signature provocatives of Lars von Trier and Gaspar Noe. Is another one I'm interested in and haven't seen yet, but Only God Forgives 2013 by Nicholas Winding Refn, who made Drive, one of my favorite movies of last decade. Only God Forgives was supposed to be Nicholas Winding Refn and Ryan Gosling's celebrated return to Cannes after the break, breakout success of Drive, which won Refn at Cannes Best Director Prize at the 2011 Festival. Anyone hoping that Refn and Gosling's reunion would yield similar results was surely crushed on the ultraviolet Only God Forgives crashed to burn at the 2013 Festival. Gosling plays an American criminal in Bangkok, forced to wade through the city's underworld. Uh, only Kirsten Scott Thomas' performance survived mostly unscathed by the press. Variety called the film a vapid, nihilistic exercise in style and added a nasty, hyper-violent thriller set around Bangkok seedy brothels and boxing rings. The film was booed at its press screening earlier this morning, countered as boos often are by defined shots of Bravo and scattered applause indicating pockets of support. So that's another one I'm interested in. I've been wanting to see that. Nicholas Winding Refn, you know, he's hit or miss with me. I didn't like Neon Demon that much. That might be coming up in his list. But I love Drive, so I'll give that one a chance. Moving on here, let's see. Let's see. Skip some of these. Okay, we're at the last two, and I'll read these. Then we'll move on. The Neon Demon, 2016, one I just talked about. Nicholas Winding Refn followed one device of can premiere, Only God Forgives, with another thanks to the 2016 debut of The Neon Demon, a fashion industry set psychological horror starring Elle Fanning as a young model thrown into the corrupt underworld of Hollywood beauty. Variety film critic Owen Gleiberman wrote in his review, Refn has made a brokely, kinky, gross-out, surrealist horror film set in the L.A. fashion world. It's not boring, but there's less to it than meets the eyeball. Beauty mingles with mangled flesh, and each fastidiously slick image seems to have come out of Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. That's by David Lynch, by the way. Or The Shining. That's by Stanley Kubrick, by the way. Or a very sick version of a Calvin Klein commercial. That's by Calvin Klein, by the way. Every scene, every shot, every line of dialogue, every pause is so hypnotically composed, so luxuriously over-deliberate, that the audience can't help but assume that Refn knows exactly what he's doing, that he's setting us up for the kill. Uh, IndieWire reported out of cans that reactions to the film range from booze to walkouts to audience members literally yelling at the screen in outrage. I didn't like this movie as much. I saw it years ago when I wasn't too big in the cinema like this. So maybe I do need to give it another chance. My brother's a big fan of this one. Uh, I'm going to have to revisit it one day. 
for refing, but eh, I don't know. And finally, on the list of Cannes' most famous walkouts, The Killing of the Sacred Deer, 2017. Love, love, love this movie. If you haven't seen it, go find it. The Killing of a Sacred Deer is amazing. Yorgos Lanthimos, he's also made The Favorite, Dogtooth, The Lobster. I've only seen this. I have to watch more of his stuff because I'm very intrigued by him from this movie. Yorgos Lanthimos, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, earned strong critical support of the 2017 Cannes Film Festival, but that didn't stop audience members from booing the disturbing feature. As Variety's Guy Lodge tweeted at the time, predictable booing after Killing of a Sacred Deer from critics who somehow resent being challenged or chafed at Cannes is magnificent. The nightmarish film stars Colin Farrell as a surgeon who befriends a young teenage boy, Barry Keoghan, Keoghan? I never know how to pronounce that. Barry Keoghan, after killing his mother on the operating table. The boy slowly enacts revenge on a certain family, the matriarch of which is played by Nicole Kimmon. Variety film critic Peter DeBruge was a fan, writing that Farrell and Kimmon are astonishingly gifted at playing the subtext of every scene. Love that movie. Don't understand why people wouldn't like it. Actually, I do understand people wouldn't like it. There's one scene where it shows a heart, like a human heart or a brain. I can't remember which one. It's been a little while since I've seen it. But I get that. Love that movie, though. Watch it if you haven't. Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's a great movie. And that's Variety's Can Controversy 22 Movies That Earn Booze and Walkouts list by Zach Shaw from giving his his credit. We'll take a quick, quick, very quick break here, and we'll be right back. We're back. Who's this podcast for? podcast is for me because there are a few people that i would like to get into more in terms of their movies uh, big names in the world of cinema some you know some you probably don't know well one you know for certain and then the other ones you may or may not you may or may not know depending on you know how many movies you're watching and how many people you're actually looking into but there's some people that i would just want to mention on briefly it's not gonna be that long um, I have a few names written down here. Let's go to number one, Akira Kurosawa. It's a legendary filmmaker. If you're in the, if you're in the interest of movies, if you know movies, if you're into the history and all of that, you know Akira Kurosawa. You know movies, certain names of movies like Seven Samurai, Rashomon, Ran, Ikiru, Yojimbo, Kagameshu, Throne of Blood, The Hidden Fortress, Sanjuro. This guy is, he, he's up there, right? Uh, he's well-respected. Uh, I would imagine a lot of people consider him one of the best of all time. I haven't dug into a lot of his work. I started Akiru back maybe two years ago, and I stopped it because I didn't, I wanted to give him my full attention, and I feel like I was going to fall asleep. It wasn't the movie's fault. It was my fault. I was tired. I shouldn't have started in the first place. Uh, I have High and Low, uh, which is one I didn't name, and that was on purpose. I have it in Criterion. And I did name that because most people know him from his um, samurai movies, like Seven Samurai, like, you know, Rashomon, Ran, all of those, Yojimbo. But there, there's a segment of the of people that think his better stuff is the stuff that isn't about samurai, more about genre. It's more about drama, more about regular people like Stray Dogs, which is uh, a noir drama from 1949, two hours, two minutes. Um with Toshihiro Mifune, who he worked with basically all the time. Then there's another movie I named already, 
um, high and low with Toshihiro Mifune, and I have that on Criterion. I desperately want to see this movie. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but it's on HBO Max if you don't have the Criterion. And Akiru, the, the movie I had started, but I stopped. And those movies, to me, stand out, along with Stray Dogs, um, because it isn't just about, you know, Samurais, which which is fine, and I, I have no problem with Samurai movies, you know. And I'm sure I'm going to love his. But I do think it's a little different when you're just dealing with regular people. And, and, and those just interest me more, just like dramas. Like High and Low is a movie that I'll tell you a little bit about um, that I've been so desperate to see. But basically a rundown. Just so Toshihiro Mifune stars as a wealthy industrialist whose family becomes the target of a ruthless kidnapper and a curious I was film noir based on Ed McBain's detective novel King's Ransom. High and Low is both a riveting thriller and a brilliant contemporary on commentary on contemporary Japanese society. It's about him thinking his son was kidnapped, his son was not kidnapped. Then he realized it was his driver's son who's kidnapped, and then he has to deal with helping him get his son back, um, even though it's not his son anymore. So, obviously, the amount of, um, not care, because that's the wrong word, but the amount of, um, I guess, the rush you're going to go to find your son is different for somebody else, even though it's somebody that you love. And you're obviously caring, you're going to help. But that just makes it so much interesting. Um, and that's why I really want to see that movie, just to see what, how it unfolds and everything. And Akira is such a great director. So, yeah, I will pick those three. High and Low. Akiru and Stray Dog as three that I desperately want to see from Akira Kurosawa as well as all the other ones I'm not poo-pooing all the rest of them but you know Seven Samurai is famous that's probably the most famous movie Ran is famous Kagameshu Throne of Blood you know all of these movies are famous Yojimbo but they're all about samurais and why that's fine Rashomon I will put on there too is number four and the ones I really want to see because it's not just about samurais it's about uh, a rape and a murder and seeing it from everybody's different perspectives it's been going to be ripped off for years that kind of like setup to where like you're getting everybody's perspective and on on what happened and how they see it and you see how people can see things differently even though it's one event and it happened the same way people see it things differently so i would put that as number four definitely want to see that uh from a name you might not know to a name you should know jackie chan now I've seen plenty of Jackie Chan movies, right? I think we all have, from the Rush Hour series to the Shang Noon, Shang High, was the Shang Knights, uh, The Karate Kid, if you saw that, uh, The Foreigner, which I still want to see. It look, you look badass in that one. I want to see that one, all right? Um, but yeah, like we've all seen a lot of Jackie Chan movies. Well, we probably haven't seen as much, or a lot of people haven't seen as much or heard about is his uh, movies from back home, um, from Hong Kong, and especially when he was young. And the ones I want to focus on are the Police Story movies. Police Story 1, 2, and 3. The first one in particular, it's on HBO Max from 1985. Um, and it, it, it's your tried and true Jackie Chan movie, a honest Hong Kong cop protecting a triad boss's girlfriend turned informer, finds himself framed for the murder of a dirty cop and going on the run. The movie makes a slapstick with wild stunts and features some painful outtakes during the final credits. So that's that last sentence is the one. The movie makes a slapstick with wild stunts. And it's directed by Jackie Chan in 1985 back in Hong Kong. So the, the reason I want to get into the police store movies and maybe the Drunken Master movies as well is because he's spoken about how when he's made movies back then and 
back in Hong Kong and other places uh, besides America, they shoot it differently and they can kind of focus on, well, America focused on the comedy too in his movies, but how the action is less cut, it's less edited. So you can actually see some of the blows and see some of the hits, right? And America has just been so edited in terms of how it uh, how it directs its action. It's just a tough thing to do for somebody like Jackie, who's a pierce in that art. And you can really call him the modern day Buster King, which is another name on this list I would like to segue into really quick because I see them as almost kindred spirits. I haven't seen any of Buster King's stuff, but from what I've heard, he's that same kind of performer that uh, Jackie is where all of the comedy, all of the humor comes through the action. And so you see it without needing to cut. That's the fun. That's the fun part. That's what makes it so good without cutting so much. You kind of miss that, even though Rush Hour 1 and 2 are great and all the other movies are great, but I want to see some of Jackie's older stuff, like Police Story Number 1. And going to um, Buster Keaton, it's another guy who came up in a different time. He came up in the silent movie era, black and white era. You definitely probably don't know him, but it was him and uh, Charlie Chaplin and Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd, I mentioned at the very end of this little segment. But Buster Keaton is one of the all-time greats when it comes to slapstick humor, especially in the silent era before sound. Some of his ones I want to see is The General, Sherlock Jr., Steamboat Bill Jr. One Week is very interesting. Um, based on Buster Keaton and Sybil Seeley, stars newlyweds who receive a portable house as a wedding gift, but when he tries to construct it, things go quickly awry. Vintage physical comedy. That's from September 1st, 1920. The rest about Buster Keaton and Edward F. Klein. So it's just a different time. Um, you can look up some of this stuff if you want. The Cameraman's another one. Our Hospitality, Limelight. That was in the 50s. Um, that was Charlie Chaplin, actually. My apologies. But hey, I, I want to look into his stuff, too. But, but Buster, I've heard, is the better of the two, even though everybody knows Charlie Chaplin. I just want to give Buster Keaton a little bit of love. But yeah. Um, one more name that I mentioned was Harold Lloyd, and it's only one movie from his that I really know about that I want to see called Safety Last. It comes from 1923. It's only an hour and 13 minutes, not long at all. Another silent movie, very famous. Harold Lloyd, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. Those were the guys in that era when it came to kind of slapstick, silent comedy. And, you know, I feel like Charlie, Charlie Chaplin's name is uh, obviously known with the, the great dictator, movies like that. But I just wanted to give a little shout out to Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton, guys I want to look more into. And finally, on this list of guys that I want to look more into, who I've actually seen uh, a movie of his, Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder is an American screenwriter. Well, he's actually Austrian-American. Director, producer, screenwriter. Came up in the, in the, what would you say? In the silent movie era, I guess. Uh, kind of transitioned over into sound, too, I think. Uh, I think he was a bit, you know. He was a bit after the silent era. But a movie I love from him is The Apartments. One of my favorite movies of all time. Came out in 1960. Um, absolutely brilliant script. Absolutely brilliant. And I would recommend that first. And that's the movie that actually makes me want to watch the rest of the stuff. Even though people would consider that that's not even his most famous or best work. But it's, it's the only one I've seen. But Some Like It Hot, 1959. People say that's the funniest comedy of all time. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, 1950. That's another one that's up there. Double Indemnity is a noir that he directed and wrote with, with Raymond Chandler. That's another one people really love. Um, people say it's one of the best noirs of all time. The Lost Weekend, uh, Sabrina. 
Yeah, he made that one too. Um, another one we heard about recently was his last movie, 1972, Avanti, with the same guy from The Apartment, Jack Lemmon. Um, and it's on Tubi, so I'm definitely going to watch that one soon. That was his last feature in 1972, I think. That was his last one. Uh, but yeah, The Apartment is absolutely wonderful. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Sunset Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard is, you know, a classic most people love. Some Like It Hot, that's another classic. Double Indemnity, so he was all over the place. I have to check out his stuff just based on the apartment. Like, if you can make that, I'm, I'm sure all the rest of them are great. I've been held back on Some Like It Hot, but, you know, I have to give it a chance at some point. Um, and those are the people that I want to get into more moving forward. Um, a little quick sim, I just want to shout out Jackie Chan, Buster Keaton, Billy Wilder, Akira Kurosawa, and Harold Lloyd. That's some guys that I've been looking more into, or I want to in the future. Um, real quick, before we move into the last few sections, I want to get into this, because I know I mentioned last episode that I was going to see Men and give a review. I have not seen it yet. Why haven't I gone to see this movie? Something is holding me back on this flick. And it doesn't take me much to hold back on a flick. I'll go see anything. I'm going to go see a lot of stuff this summer that I probably don't care about. Lightyear, you know, the new Buzz movie. Uh, don't look that great to me, but I'm going to see it anyway. Top Gun Maverick, I'm going to go see that. I'm going to go see the new Jurassic Park movie. I don't care. I just need to go to movies. I got to be in theater. And you think I would have seen this yet? Um, and I haven't. I don't know, man. It's, it's a, Well, first of all, it's horror. I'm not the biggest horror guy. I think I said that last week, but I do appreciate horror and I can appreciate a psychological thriller for sure. Like, um, silence of the lambs and stuff like that. But I like the old horrors like Halloween and, uh, nightmare on Elm street. I saw both of those recently. They're both very good. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is perfect. I love that movie. Um, invasion of the body snatchers is perfect in front of seventies. I love that movie. I got to see the fifties one. But something about men and this new iteration of horror just kind of pulls me back. I don't know what it is. Um, I you know I know that it's the title, man, because I just can't get over the fact that they like are they finna blame all men for this one dude finna kill this woman or trying to kill this woman? And that might not be it. I might be presumptuous. I need to see it, but you know I don't know. I feel like I'm like I'm dragging my feet on it. So. I'm not going to guarantee you a review anymore because I don't know if it's going to happen. I can guarantee you a review of some other stuff because I know that's going to happen. But this one, I don't know. Not just that it's hard, and I'll drag my feet on most hard stuff because I'll be scared of them horror flicks. I ain't going to lie. But that it's like, it's so charged with all of this, like what seems to be this social commentary that I just don't want to delve into. I really don't. Um, You know, but we'll see. It's not a foregone conclusion yet. I can go see it today. I'll go see it tomorrow and be back next week with a review. Who knows? But at this moment in time, I'm not rushing. I don't know what's coming out this week. I haven't checked AMC. But, you know, if something's coming out this week, that's better. <laughs> I'm going to see that. Matter of fact, I'm going to check live on the air right now. I'm going to pull up AMC and see what's coming out because... If nothing's coming out, I might just have to go see that flick. Wait a minute. Top Gun Maverick's coming out this week. Oh, well. If I don't see it during the week, then Downtown Abbey and New Era's out. I know Wifey probably wants to see that. So I might take her to that. Uh, I kind of want to see that, too. It's about making a movie. 
Any movie about making movies, I'm kind of down. Everything Everywhere All At Once is back in theaters. I kind of want to see that again. That movie's fantastic. Men is still out. The Bad Guys is out. Star Trek Motion Picture Director's Cut. Is that what this is? Director's Edition. Yeah. Uh, the Northman's still out. Go see the Northman movie. It's great. Uncharted's out. That movie sucked. The Unbearable Way to Massive Talent. I thought we were going to see that. We didn't. So, you know, that's the... Um, okay. Let me go to Friday and see if that'll change it some. Because it might not be showing what's actually going to be there Friday. Yeah. So Top Gun Maverick is coming out this weekend. Between that and Downton Abbey, men might get pushed back another week. <laughs> I need to see Top Gun Maverick just so I can rip it if I don't like it. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise guy. I'm not the biggest Top Gun guy. I haven't seen the first one. I told y'all that last week, but say it's going to make a lot of money. I'm just interested in going to the theaters as much as I can. So you already know what that means. So I'm probably going to see that mug. You might get a few words on the next week. But uh, yeah, we'll come back to men. Alex Garland, haven't seen any of his other work. Ex Machina, Annihilation, Devs, his TV show. People say he's very inventive. He's very good. This movie's good. I've seen mixed reviews. We'll see. Yeah, I might just go check it out one day this week. One day the rest of this week for the weekend comes, so they're not going to see the, the other stuff. But I haven't gotten to it yet. Sorry for telling you I would. But uh, I would tell you go see it. Go see anything new. Go see the new stuff. Go see the small new stuff, too. Go see everything ever all at once. It's still in theater. That movie's one of the two best movies I've seen this year, that and Northman and Vortex. They all in that kind of circle. Even though Vortex, I think they said it came out last year, whatever. But, yeah, that's my words on men. I might get to it. I might not. We'll see. Uh, real quick, I'm going to take another little break, and then we're going to come back with some Criterion talk. I'll explain what that is. Uh, then one or two more things and then we're going to get up out of here. All right, be back in a second. We're back. So, Criterion Collection. Let me explain to you what Criterion Collection is if you do not know, if you have not ever heard of it. I will give you a slight rundown of exactly what it is. So the Criterion Collection, this is basically what it does. Discover important classic and contemporary cinema from around the world. Browse our Criterion series of Blu-ray and DVD editions. Featuring award-winning, award-winning staples of cinema and other from the wide world of cinema all across the world. So Criterion Collection is a home American home video dis distribution company that focuses on licensing restoring and distributing important classic and contemporary films criterion serves film and media scholars center files in public and academic libraries so basically you just you buy a blu-ray they send it in a unique package that you can't get anywhere else or unique cover that you can't get anywhere else and that's kind of the thing and they have movies from back in the day they have new stuff on there or newer stuff on there rather and every few months or so they put on a new one a few a few new ones stuff that you've heard stuff you haven't heard and it kind of it's kind of a revolving door of criterion and they have criterion uh, channel which is a streaming service which i have not gotten yet because there's about 10 to 12 to 15 streaming services i feel like and i can't get money to all of them um i got enough as it is but i would like criterion channel because they show a lot of great cinema that isn't being shown 
on a lot of these other streaming channels. So Criterion Collection, I kind of give you a rundown. How many do I have? Well, I think I have 12. I started getting them last year, maybe 2012 during the pandemic. Um, from my brother who has, it feels like 40,000 of them. Blu-rays and Criterions, which is a little different, but they're kind of the same, but they're a little different. Blu-rays give you the standard cover. Criterions give you a different cover. And they might be, you know, very unique and very well done. And that's really the appeal and all of the extra stuff that you get, all the commentary, all of the stuff. Um, so I love Criterion. I'm growing my little collection and my Blu-rays. I got a lot of Blu-rays, but less Criterion, but I'm, I'm getting there. And I have 12. I thought it'd be fun for me to kind of rank them, see which ones of the 12 that I have right now are my favorite tops to bottom. Um, tell you a little bit about them if you haven't. So one second, let me grab them i got them right here and we'll see how this stacks up let me count them first one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven it says hold on did i lie i think i might have lied one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve no i got twelve okay now, since I told you what they are and what their purpose is, basically a, a curated service that, you know, gives you great movies. Let's go through and we'll just name all the ones I have in order of their of their little number that comes on the side of the box. So number uh, we have The Silence of the Lambs, Goaded, Parasite, uh, Bong Joon-ho. It won the Palm Door in 2019, won the Oscar in 2020, so... Go out of your way to see Parasite. It's a great movie. Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee, 1989. You know that one. Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half. A lot of people say La Dolce Vita is his best. I haven't seen it. I want to. But Eight and a Half, 1963 is my favorite. Barry Lyndon. Haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Punch Drunk Love, Paul Thomas Anderson. Barry Lyndon's by Stanley Kubrick, by the way. So, respect. Uh, Punch Drunk Love, Paul Thomas Anderson. One of his, I would say that's, was that, top three or four of Paul Thomas Anderson? It's up there, though. 12 Angry Men, love this movie. Billy Wilder, we spoke about him earlier. No, actually, I'm lying. I'm stupid. That's Sidney Lumet, who I have a book on I'm reading called Making Movies. Might have mentioned that last week, but I love Sidney Lumet. He's another guy I want to get more into. I just didn't write his name down. But 12 Angry Men by Sidney Lumet. Night of the Hunter by Charles Lawton. That's the only movie he ever directed. And he went back to acting, and it's a classic. High and Low by Kira Kurosawa. We talked about that earlier. I definitely want to see that. Haven't seen it yet. David Cronenberg's name comes up. Again, Videodrome. You know, that's another one I have to see by him and see how it stands up. Right? Then the last two are The Friends of Eddie Coyle by Peter Yates. Haven't seen it yet. And Crash by David Cronenberg, who we spoke about already. So, that's all 12. Let's see. If I had to rank these, where would I do it? How would I do it, rather? I'm not quite sure. But we'll go from bottom to top. We'll start at the bottom. So I guess I'm going to put the ones at the bottom that I haven't seen, because that makes the most sense, right? So at the bottom, we'll go Barry Lyndon. And this is in no order for, for these bottom ones, because I just haven't seen them yet. They could be 1, 2, 3, 12, who knows? Barry Lyndon goes at the bottom. The Friends of Eddie, Co <clears throat> the Friends of Eddie Coyle excuse me, goes at the bottom. Um, high and low goes at the bottom, and video drone goes at the bottom because I haven't seen those yet. And so from there, we'll do like this 
those four at the bottom because I haven't seen them. Now, what's going on top first in terms of ones I don't like more than the others? Or in terms of from least to most liked? We'll, we'll do it like that. Um, Out of these movies, I think I will put Night of the Hunter last. Or at least first on this pile. This great movie, but I think out of these ones, it's probably the one I like the least the most. L- least amount. Then we'll probably do Crash. Another movie I love, but remember, this is least the most. You know, it, it is what it is, right? Um, This is real time, yo. I'm doing this in real time. It's not... I didn't do this before. There's no prep. We're doing this right now. Uh, Let's say... Let's do do the right thing. If Ian heard that, he'd, he'd be he'd be upset. But hey, I love Spike. I gotta watch more Spike Lee. He's another guy I gotta see more of. But you know, and I love do the right things. Perfect movie. But we gotta go somewhere. Then let's do let's do Parasite. Ah, that's tough. That's tough. We'll do Parasite right there. Then we'll do ooh. I about to say Silence of the Lambs. I love Silence of the Lambs so much, though. So I don't know if I can do that yet. Let's do Punch Drunk Love. So the last three, we have 12 Angry Men, perfect, eight and a half, perfect, and Silence of the Lambs, perfect. I spoke about 12 Angry Men and eight and a half last, so I guess they can't in the last week's episode. So I guess they theoretically can't go last, can they? Or, or there can't be a movie higher than them. But I don't know. I didn't have Silence of the Lambs in my top four, and I should because it's perfect. But... To respect my previous episode, Silence of the Lamb will go last. Then I will do eight and a half. And then at the top of my list will be 12 Angry Men. Just because it's been on my mind so much recently. Um, and any of these are interchangeable. Like, So that's kind of how it goes. I'll go through them one more time. Barry Lyndon, Friends of Eddie Coyle, High and Low, Videodrome. Those are all there because I haven't seen them. Night of the Hunter, Crash, Do the Right Thing, Parasite, Punch Drunk Love, Silence of the Lambs, eight and a half. And 12 Angry Men at the top of my criterion list. Yep. And there we go. I will put those in order later on in terms of their actual like booking number. But for now, I'll leave that right there. So now you know what Criterion Collection is. You might go on there, go on their site. You might find something that you love from them. Or you might see a bunch of stuff you never heard of. Hey, it, it can go either way. Uh, not mad at you either way. But at least go and look. You might find something you like. Last section. We're almost done. The thing I want to hit on last with these two little points. One that I definitely, definitely want to recommend is um it, it's called music references. Or music recommendations rather. Let's see that. Who's this podcast for? It's for music lovers now. An album that I found. First of all, let me say this. I'm an avid music lover. I don't know if I mentioned that last week, but I love music. Recently, I've been into a lot of Griselda, a lot of like grimy hip hop stuff. Obviously, Kendrick dropped a few weeks ago that I've been in rotation a lot. Uh, but if you don't know me, you won't know that I'm very into R&B, particularly alternative R&B, the new school kind of stuff. This album that I found by this girl, I don't even know if this is R&B. This sounds like a almost techno R&B kind of thing going on. Her name's Pink Panthers, and the album is To Hell With It. Came out late last year. Um... Let me see here. Came out, I think, in October of 2021. I'm going to pull it up real quick. If if Spotify would work. 
Shout out to Spotify though. Uh, October 15, 2021, Pink Panthers. Only 16 minutes. 18 minutes and 36 seconds. 10 songs. And every song works. Every song is fire, including the bonus, Break It Off. And she has a new song that came out recently, Where You Are, featuring Willow, Willow Smith, Pink Panthers and Willow, April 22nd, 2022. That song's 2 minutes, 33 seconds, Where You Are. But the album, To Hell With It, is fire. They played her song on the Atlanta Season 3 promotional uh, teaser, I guess for FX, and I love the season. By the way, I know a lot of people didn't, but that season was great. I guess I could do a little bit more TV talk, but but we'll get into that later on. My favorite show is Succession. It's the best show on TV when it's on. Barry is the second best show, and Atlanta to me is the third. I know people love um, what's the show on right now? It's like the it's like the sequel to The Wire. Was it We Own This City? I think that's what it's called with John Bernthal. He's a great actor. People say that's the best show. I have to see for myself. Anyway, back to Pink Panthers. This album, uh, To Hell With It, is amazing. It's beautiful. It's talking about some deep stuff. It's a lot of stuff that a lot of young people are talking about today. You know, hey, I get tired of it too. But when you put it in music like this, it works. And I'm into it. I'm doing all of it. My favorite cuts from the album, I have three. I'm Maybe four, but it's only 10 songs. I want to give you all of them. Pain, I Must Apologize, Passion, and Reason. Reason is probably the stand-up. Honestly, I gotta hear a second of this just to make sure. Yeah, Reason is the one. But Pain, I Must Apologize, and uh, Passion are also great. Passion is probably the second. But Pink Panthers, to hell with it. Check that album out if you haven't. That album is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. You know, and and like I said with Kendrick, I've been listening to that, listening to Pink Panthers. That's it. I'll listen to like, because I'll give you a rundown on some of the stuff I've been listening to recently. Saba, Few Good Things. I've been bumping that album since um, February when it came out. Great album. One of the albums of the year. That and Earl Sweatshirt's album that came out earlier this year are both fantastic. What was Earl's album name? Because I I, I got to give him his credit. He's one of them guys pushing his rap stuff forward. You know what I'm talking about? And we need guys like that, you know. If I could find a name, Sick. So, you know. Very timely, I guess, with all the Corona stuff. But Sick was the name of that album. Very short, 24 minutes, 10 songs. Perfect length. I like I like long albums. I like the double album like Kendrick's, Mr. Morale, and the Big Steppers. But I like the short albums, too. That I can listen to, you know, when I'm walking or whatever, you know, in and out, 20-some minutes when we gone. We're not here all day listening to a bunch of albums, right? Uh, but like I said, A Few Good Things by Saba. Listening to a lot of MF Doom, mm, Food, Mad Villainy, you know. Khalid had an album that came out last year that I didn't even know about. It came out in December called Scenic Drive, The Tape. That That's groovy as hell. Been listening to that a lot. Um, you know, I got some joints on here. Let me see here. Leon Thomas dropped a song with Benny the Butcher from Griselda called X-Rated. Tech It by Kefune. That song is all over the place right now on TikTok. Yes, I be on top. I know they stealing all of our information. These iPhones been doing that. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Face the World by Nipsey. Listening to that Wait for You, Drake featuring Tim's. Tim's is on fire, man. She could do no wrong, and that song is perfect. Um, she makes that song her and Drake, to be honest. Feature I like. I like Feature a lot, but come on, man. 
We know who that song's for. Westside Boogie's coming out with his, al- with his new album. We haven't gotten some from him since Everything For Sale back in 2019, I believe. And we're coming with his new album, uh, Need More More Black Superheroes, or whatever it's called. Can't wait for that. He's amazing. Yeah, January, January 25th, 2019 was his last album. So we're ready for him in any respect. Word on the Streets by Key Glock. Perfect by the Smashing Pumpkins. As it was by Harry Styles. I heard he dropped. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to his album. I think. Yeah, Harry's House. Uh, released May 20th. That was my brother's birthday. So apparently he dropped, so I'm going to have to listen to that. If it's anything like uh, As It Was, then uh, I got to listen to it. So I don't want to do that to Harry. He dropped one of them gems right there, As It Was. So I kind of got to give him his credit uh, and listen to him. Let's see, man. What else on here? Glad by my guy Piff Marty. Uh, these are just songs that I like and put on my rotation. Mama Proud by Tito Lopez. He from Mississippi. Mississippi stand-up. If y'all, you know, if you, if you represent home, if you represent my home, listen to Tito Lopez, Mama Proud. Came out some years ago. But he's spitting better than 90% of the rap game today. That came out January 1st, 2012. So give him a listen. Also, I'm listening to Bubbly by Kobe Calais. I ain't ashamed. And Fuji a lot of Fuji, Miss Lauren Hill. Starships by Retro Spectro. Y'all know Retro Spectro? Listen to Starships. That song's crazy. Um, but yeah. That's kind of bad. I don't want to go too long. That's kind of what I've been listening to. Uh, and new albums, like I said, Harry's House just came out. I don't know. I, I've been keeping up with music lately. I've been more into other stuff. I ain't really had time to just sit down and listen to a bunch of stuff. That's why I like the shorter stuff. I can listen to it and I'm on the go doing stuff. But that would be some of the little things that I've been keeping up with. Um, But yeah, Pink Panthers. I had to give her a shout out. To hell with it amazing front to back it's only 18 minutes not even 20 minutes long listen to it that album's great um and that's really all i can say about her last few minutes here before we wrap this up uh i guess sports look like we're gonna have golden state win another title again i told you i don't really like to talk about too much direction directly into sports because that can date yourself you date your episodes but golden state golden state was to win a fourth title we'd have to talk about that because uh they're already a dynasty they'd be a spurs level dynasty but but the spurs never even went back-to-back championships and they got five titles in 15 years the warriors might have four titles in what when they start winning 2015 and it's 2022 so in seven years, they could potentially have, yeah, four championships and went to six finals, four out of six. Steph could be a four-time champion if, you know, everything goes right for him in these next few days and these next few games. Because um, it basically, it's basically foretold that he's going to go ahead and wrap this up and at least get to the finals, get to his six finals. Will he win it? We don't know, but. Uh, we'll see, but I just think that's amazing. And then you have to kind of start talking about him as top 10. How could you keep him out? Especially if he gets a finals MVP. It'll be hard to keep him out. Um, But, you know, hey, we'll see. Baseball, baseball's going on. I've been keeping up a little bit. Like I told you, I've been getting into baseball a little bit. Really, football is the one I'm waiting to get back. We talked about that last time. I can't wait for football, man. 
the AFC is going to kill each other. The NFC is basically two teams, the Packers and the Buccaneers. If Aaron Rodgers don't get to the damn Super Bowl this season, what are we doing? You have to. There's nobody that'll stop. Well, the Rams. And the Rams were the champions last season, but, you know. There's nobody to stop you. How could you not at least get to the conference championship? But then you got to win that because you've been there before in the past few years and ain't won, so. Get Tom Brady up out of here. The man retired and came back. He don't know what he wants. This is your time, Aaron. Lead us. Lead us to the championship. Lead us to the Super Bowl. And let the AFC kill each other because it's a gauntlet over there. Um, That's all I got. That's all I got. I'm not going to stretch it. Next week, I don't know what it'll be. I don't know what this week was until it happens. Stuff happens. Life happens. And then you, you get your content through that. I hate that word. But in this case, that's what it is. Um, you get your material through that. Let's say that. So, good episode. Who's this podcast for? It's y'all. It's for me. None of us. Everybody. David Cronenberg. <laughs> Music. Criterion Collection. That's who That's who it really is for. But, you know, I don't know nothing. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here again. Hope you return. Hope you come back next time. And, um, yeah, that's all I got. Who's this podcast for? I don't know. We'll find out. Thank y'all so much. Peace.